It's all the files of the whole park. It tells you everything. Sir, he's uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. Want to hear a story that involves automatic license plate reader technology, AI-powered cameras that detect the movements of cars across the United States, cops, and, well, Burger King? Well, today on the show, we have motherboard reporter of all things surveillance, Joseph Cox, on to tell us about Flock, a little-known company that's hawking smart surveillance cameras that are quietly creeping individual neighborhoods across the country for police. I'm Ben Maku, and this is Cyber. So Joseph, you you got what can be described as a plethora of emails from police departments across the country. But what? How did you get them, and what is what did it? What did they tell you? Yeah, so the emails are about a company called Flock, which makes you know AI driven smart surveillance cameras that can identify vehicles and license plates and that sort of thing. Not just the plates, so you can see what the color of the car is, uh, what the potentially what the make is, if there are stickers on it, and that sort of thing. Uh, to answer your question, we more specifically got hundreds of pages of emails from police departments around the country who are buying. Um, Flock cameras from the company, or at least in discussions with Flock about the technology. And when you go into the emails, it's stuff like, oh, the police buying the cameras to install them outside a Burger King or a hardware store or on, you know, like a busy main road so they can look at all of the vehicles that go down there. Um, you have the police talking about the benefits of the technology, um, how they've used them to catch people with a stolen stimulus check or something like that. And, you know, a really wide variety of crimes that this is being used for, uh, allegedly from stuff like kidnapping right down to, yeah, those more minor crimes like petty theft and that sort of thing. But this company is building a very large network uh, of these cameras around the country, both with local communities and with law enforcement. So wait, let me get this straight. Like Flock is advertising these cameras specifically to police departments and community associations. Yeah, so ordinarily we thought that license plate reading technology was just for law enforcement, and Flock is doing that as well. One of the benefits of Flock, at least from the police side, is that it's exceptionally cheap. You know, it's two thousand to two thousand five hundred dollars for one of these cameras, whereas if you were buying it from a competitor, it could be multiple thousands, if not, you know, potentially over tens of thousands of dollars to buy one of these. So Flock is doing that, and then on the and other they're just side, setting them up in places like Burger Kings. Like, I mean. Yes. Doesn't that, I mean, isn't there some sort of law preventing against that or is that completely legal? Because I mean, that, that means, I mean, I, 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 I'm assuming that most people that pull up to a Burger King or out, out of a Burger King aren't criminals. <laughs> this, I mean, this is America, baby. It's the First Amendment. We can take photos in public whatever we want. And it doesn't matter <laughs> if the if the photo being taken happens to be an AI-driven surveillance camera that can technically take lots of photos <laughs> in very quick succession and create a movie. I mean, that is the legal basis, not just for Flock, I mean, for these sorts of technologies in general, right? I mean, they argue and uh, Vigilant, the other company that does this sort of thing, that they say that, you know, we can take photos in public, that's all we're doing. But of course, it is a very, very different entity when a company is not just taking individual photos of vehicles, but they are doing this constantly across the country and then providing access to that footage to different police departments. But the legal basis is the same, at least from their perspective. So, Cops using these doesn't change anything. Because, I mean, 
to me, it seems almost like, it, I, I w- obviously wouldn't say entrapment, but it's kind of assuming that crime is happening all around you if you're yeah. a police and you're getting these images and you're just, you're, you're kind of what you're harvesting from the bucket of crime. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, so, so Dave Mars from the electronic frontier foundation who I spoke to for this piece, he does explicitly describe it as a mass surveillance technology. You put a camera or a series of cameras, you know, around a town and wherever they're pointing, they are by design capturing and analyzing uh, data on every vehicle that goes by. Now, they're not going to inform law enforcement of every vehicle that goes by, right? You, the camera will detect a vehicle. It will look at the license plate. It will figure out what that license plate is. And then it could do something with that. So in the case of Flock, it ha- it can be linked up to hot lists, which will then go, okay, well, this plate is actually on this hot list as a stolen vehicle, or it's on this one as a sexual predator, or potentially as well, this is... um a license plate linked to somebody for immigration violations. So, and it's up to the police what sort of hot list they use there. But in order to do that, it still has to scan every vehicle going past. And as uh, Mas says, that is a mass surveillance device by definition, even if it is on a localized level, you know, it's still getting every vehicle that goes by. Well, that's the thing is it just, it seems like it's sort of, I mean, this, I mean, to, to, to use an example, a, a, you know, a, an international example, you, you see stuff like China and the way that they've created this mass system of, of detection and video surveillance everywhere. China has the largest video surveillance network in the world and plans to expand it to more than 600 million cameras over the next two years. With the rise in facial recognition and artificial intelligence, it feels more like someone is watching all those cameras at all times. Is this not just like kind of a corporatized version of it here in the U.S. or is that overstepping? Yeah, I, I would push back a little bit against that because, of course, I mean, I'm I'm not going to compare, you know, Chinese surveillance to uh, really anything that happens in the West. I mean, of course, the West does terrible things as well and mass surveillance and all that sort of thing. But China is, you know, obviously out there doing their own much more extreme things. But generally speaking, this is, yeah, a corporatized mass surveillance tool and whether law enforcement are using that or as we'll probably discuss in a minute individual communities are using that it is a rapid expansion of this sort of technology not just because you know it's uh it's easier to use or something like that but because it's so cheap we could see more and more police forces and individuals buying this technology i mean how many local communities and local police forces are using flock uh, it's hundreds of police departments, at least. I mean, it varies depending on, you know, what point in the emails you look at, because the ones we got stretched back all the way back to, I don't know, 2019. So it's several years worth of emails, but there's 400 mentioned there, then eventually I think 500 uh, police departments, and they're in the majority of states across the country, I believe. So this is a very wide, uh, a very widespread of the technology and the systems. And of course, we, we should mention that there is this aspect called Talon, which is the law enforcement sort of network side of it. So you may have a local police department who buys five cameras for their own town or whatever, and they do their own thing. They can elect, uh, sort of opt in to share 
uh, footage from that or hits from that um, data with other police departments. They opt in to join this Talon network. So then if I'm someone in totally hypothetically, if I'm someone in New York and, you know, there's a stolen vehicle there or whatever, and I then want to check if there's um, footage in Philadelphia, let's say, if someone drove down there, you could potentially do that with the Talon network if the, you know, if the sharing agreements are in place. But it does let local police departments, local sheriff, uh, county officers, that sort of thing, reach beyond their own jurisdiction and sort of tap into this network across the country. How does Flock justify the creation of this system? Like, how are they founded? What did they believe in to begin with? So the founder um, who I spoke to, they said they were the victim of, I believe, property crime uh, in Atlanta a few years ago. And there was no evidence really that could help. Uh, as far as I remember, I'm paraphrasing his origin story, but that, that was the sort of basic gist of it. Being an electrical engineer, they then developed uh, this prototype. And I mean, their explicit goal, when you look at a very, very uh, recent marketing video just from February, it says their goal is to eliminate crime. And they say that the only way they can do that is by working working with every police department in the country. You don't really get less uh, unambiguous than that, really. You know, that is their stated goal. It is to work with every police department in the country. And I'm not saying they're there yet, but they're certainly on their way to being uh, a popular tool with law enforcement. Again, Vigilant was the dominant solution and still is probably the dominant solution for license plate reading technology with law enforcement, especially with federal law enforcement. But now when you have Flock almost approaching from the other direction, from working with communities, from working with local PDs and going up that way, I don't think it's going to be long until we see potentially, you know, state and federal contracts moving onto Flock rather than Vigilant. You know, something I know you've you've ran into and as have I in my own reporting around domestic terrorism and, and just when it comes to local law enforcement, working with federal law enforcement or even to, to some degree uh, intelligence agencies, but the concept of a fusion center. Now, I understand mm-hmm. that there's some... There's some crossover between fusion centers and Flock. So I, my question is, can you kind of define what a fusion center is? And then also, I mean, how is Flock matching up to that? Yeah, so a fusion center, they're quite these controversial um, sort of hubs where they will work in a particular region. You know, maybe you have a South Texas one or a California one or, or whatever, just hypothetically. But they will sort of tap into various intelligence being shared by local, state, and federal forces, you know, in, in the wake of 9-11 and trying to get more intelligence sharing going. Um, of course, it can be controversial to put all of that data in one place. And the some of the emails that we found showed at, at least one fusion center demonstrating interest in um, obtaining access to the flock data. Now, it didn't say, you know, we we got it and, and we did it, but it certainly showed interest from that. And it would make sense for a fusion center. This is exactly the sort of data that they would probably want to be able to survey a large geographic area at once. You know, it's almost a step, it's almost a step in between individual police departments getting uh, flog and then the Talon network. You could potentially, if you're a fusion center, sit in between that, tap into Talon, and then get um, some really good visibility on uh, areas uh, across your state or or your geographic region. I mean, it almost seems tailor-made for a fusion center. Just just reading that story, I I immediately thought that, and then I saw the mentioning of it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think increasingly there's been a lot more an attempt to sort of coordinate local law enforcement intelligence with federal. And I think this is like, what better intelligence than gathering thousands of uh, license plates by a Burger King, you know? 
Yeah, totally. I mean, this is going to be the perfect tool for them. Uh, and I mean, I'm not saying they already conduct mass surveillance or anything like that, but they'll do stuff like social media monitoring and that sort of thing. And it's very much the same sort of approach of let's gather the data that we can and then we'll filter out what we need later. Now, how does this, because the other thing I'm getting vibes off of is just this reminds me a lot of Ring. Those recent chilling invasions of privacy. That tree is looking really, really good, guys. Played out in home after home. Who is that? I'm your best friend. I'm Santa Claus. With hackers peering in at times taunting residents through their ring camera systems. What's up, homie? I still see you. Now prompting a class action lawsuit. Do you think that there's a comparison to be made? Oh, yeah, totally. I, I mean, even in the emails, uh, one of the police officers said they they consider it the ring of license plate reader technology. And I mean, to talk more about how Flock grew and how it started, it did originally pitch itself to communities. So this would be, you know, I don't know, a private business owner, uh, a homeowners association, maybe somebody who just owns a condo or, or a house or whatever. And they would pitch to them, again, like the founder um, wanted to do, which was, you know, kind of contribute to solving crime themselves. So that's where they went in. Now, if I'm a homeowners association, let's say I buy three cameras or two cameras, and I will probably put them on the road uh, that leads to my cul-de-sac or my suburb or something like that. And that's what residents are doing. They're setting up these so-called virtual gates where they can record every vehicle going in and out um, of of a residential area. Uh, and, you know, you can opt out if you're the resident or you're part of a homeowner's association. You could say, hey, please, could you not record my plate going in and out? And that will add you to, um, you know, some sort of block list or deny list or something like that. That doesn't really help the people who may be driving past, who, one, probably have no idea <laughs> that there's some flock cameras there, unless there's a sign, and sometimes there is, or they don't really have an idea how to opt out. And then if you extend flock to, you know, there's this one community has it, and the next door community has it, and so on and so on, you could theoretically drive past, you know, five sets of these cameras, but there's no meaningful way to opt out of that collection unless you go to one individually, uh, each neighborhood individually. And how that as for how that connects to Ring, yes, the local communities opt in to sharing their footage with the local police department, for example, just like Ring owners elect to share their doorbell footage with local law enforcement as well. It's basically the same sort of data sharing model here. Just all that's happening with Flock is that it's specifically tracking vehicles. It can identify people and bikes and that sort of thing, but they don't use facial recognition. It's more just to say, oh, there is a bike in the shot. There is a person in the shot. But as apart from that, it is exceptionally similar to Ring. Now, Joseph, I think everyone who's listening can detect that you have an English accent. And of course, England is the land of CCTV cameras and sort mm -hmm. of this, this, this foundational tool of uh, surveillance cameras placed all over the country that sort of hardwired the entire country into a surveilled video state. Mm -hmm. and London especially, yeah. London especially. And, you know, you're someone who reports on this kind of stuff very, very deeply. Where is this going next in America? Like, what's the next horizon of this this wired surveillance state? As you say, in London, there's a hell of a lot of CCTV. I even remember years ago, and I don't think I ever got around to it, I was mapping my route to the uh, London Vice office and recording every single CCTV camera I could see that I passed. And then I was going to then request 
each of those businesses to provide me with that CCTV footage. Now, that was a very, very laborious process that I don't think I ever ended up doing, but it did indicate something, that these cameras operated in silos, right? They're, they're operating by themselves. They're not networks. You have to go to each individual business. Now, how it differs with Flock, and Flock is just primarily in America right now. I'm sure they're expanding as well, probably, but we'll just talk about the American context. The difference with Flock is that those cameras can be networked in some way, whether that is, you know, a community electing to share that footage with the police, or if it is the police linking up their cameras to then become part of the talent network. The difference is, is that those cameras, at least in some cases, are no longer operating in silos. They're operating as part of a wider network that can be accessed more broadly. So just that wider network that can be accessed remotely is, is the future of this sort of web, you think? Yeah, it's linking all of these CCTV cameras essentially together rather than them operating by themselves, doing their own thing. They'll become part of one product or, or one web. And, you know, there'll be various protections in place. Flock, for example, does delete data after 30 days. You have to go in and get the data before then. The police download it and then they can store it for as long as, long as they want under their own local or state laws. But that networking of these, um, of these machines is definitely the the aspect that's most different to what we've had previously. Well, that sounds terrifying. Uh, thank you, as usual, Joseph, for coming on and making everyone paranoid. Thank you. I appreciate it. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So Lorenzo, you uh, you were down south. You got a little bit of sunlight. Got that tan going. Yeah, I went for a little vacation. Highly recommended. Things uh things are better when you relax a little bit and take a break. Yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm getting very sick of the cold temperatures against my skin. But uh, you know, I don't think it's gonna be. Oh, well, those are gonna be over soon. Yeah. Anyway, you know how 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 best to start? You know, a nice cipher off than by uh, taking it out on some celebrities who did some, uh, you know, took some interesting positions on the Amazon Union. Yeah, well, they didn't take a position, which basically means they're not supporting it. So as a lot of our listeners know, Amazon warehouse workers in Bessemer, Alabama, are trying to unionize, and this is like an historic movement. They could be the first Amazon workers to unionize and... (laughs) If that happens, they will likely ignite a movement across the whole country. And 
our editor Emmanuel, along with uh, Samir, they had the idea to reach out to a bunch of uh, Amazon celebrities, meaning actors, directors, and writers who have worked for Amazon Studios, to see if they, you know, if they wanted to take a position in this um, historic uh, labor fight. And unfortunately, no one answered. They reached out to 56 people, and only the publicist of Emma, Emma Thompson responded. And the response was actually kind of lame. Uh, the publicist said that uh, Emma was filming in the UK, and because she's in the UK, she probably doesn't know anything about this, which is kind of puzzling. Like, there's no internet in the UK. I heard. Um, I heard. I heard. Internet there is very. You know, it's uh, it's only just arrived. It's only uh, Queen's news, I guess. Yeah, it's still on dial-up. That UK stuff. Ro- Royal family news. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, at that point, you're better off not, not responding. But, um, yeah, the other celebrities did not respond. Um, I guess the, to look at the bright side, a few people have signed a letter uh, written by the Writers Guild of America, uh, including Sarah Silverman, Tina Fey, and, and the director Alfonso Cuaron. So, you know, there is some, some support, but uh, probably you expected some other people you know, some of these people that were worked for Amazon to come Ooh. out in support of the labor this, fight. This, this list is pretty interesting. Also, Timothy Chalamet. Come on, bruh. <laughs> Aren't you like 20? Al Pacino. Al Pacino. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Jonah Hill. Wow. Yeah, you know, usually Hollywood stars are very liberal, very progressive. John Krasinski, Jack Ryan. I mean, that show sucks. Like, let's just be honest. That show sucks. I'm, Shit. I'm glad you told me because I had a... I almost thought about watching. No, I think I watched like part of an episode and I was like, yeah, this is why the war on terror keeps happening is people think this fantasy is real. Good to know. Yeah, and skip it. It's a skip. Uh, I know some people are probably going to disagree with me, but whatever. I don't care. I have the best taste ever. Uh, Okay, so (laughs) that's a joke. Although is it? Um, Emails show shadow structure behind encrypted phone network, EncroChat. I mean, this is is continuing on Joseph Cox, our, our boy, Jojo. And his incredible reporting on surveillance issues, and a frequent mm-hmm. collaborator with you. Yeah, this is a good uh, some good nuggets uh, coming out of uh, the story of EncroChat or EncroChat that Joseph has been covering for a while. For those who don't remember, EncroChat was um, a company that provided encrypted phones, uh, you know, with like uh, stuff stripped out of them to increase the chances of not being spied on. And obviously, most of their customers were criminals. And last year, the French police shut down the whole network, but not before hacking all the users of the network. So presumably, the French police has a long list of all the users who were on EncroChat. And what's interesting about this whole story is that we still don't know who the owner of the company is. Uh, They are still at large. And Joseph got some emails that actually include the name of the owner, which we haven't published to protect uh, their safety. And and these emails also show that the company was doing some sort of money laundering through a shell company in Panama, that uh, international bank account. So that was, you know, what you would expect from a criminal enterprise. Yeah, I mean, Anchor Chats, there hasn't been a ton of reporting on it just because it's been so hard to get information on them. But Joseph has kind of been on top of this for a while. Uh, and it's always nice to get leaked some emails. You know, getting leaked emails is is the journalist's, you know, guide to a, a happy morning, really, if you ask me. Yeah, I believe no one else has uh, really done any 
good reporting on Anchor Chat. So good job, Joseph. Great job. And this next one was you. Mm-hmm. You did this story, and this is this is your first one when you since you came back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a kind of a familiar story now. A lot of uh, ransomware gangs are not just uh, you know encrypting networks uh, and data anymore and ask for a ransom. They're also sort of trying to extort victims by saying, you know, we're going to leak all your information. If you don't want your sensitive corporate information online, give us money. So it's kind of like a twist on the old ransomware um, operation. And in this case, this uh, hacking group is known as CLOP. Uh, they are they haven't gotten that much attention because so much, so much is going on in the world of security with SolarWinds and the recent Microsoft Exchange hacks. But this is a pretty interesting hack. So this group, which is believed to be a Russian or Eastern European cybercrime gang, got access to a company called Axelion, which sells um, like a secure file transfer product. And it was a supply chain hack. By by getting into Axelion, uh, this group got all their customers, or at least a huge number of them. And in this case, the victim was a a bank called Flagstar in Michigan, and they got some of their employees' social security numbers leaked online, which is bad news for those employees. That's pretty bad news. Yeah, and what's interesting is that the we I was able to talk to someone with knowledge of the bank who said that uh, the bank initially negotiated with the hackers um, to make them think that they were thinking about paying them the ransom, but that was just to gain time uh, in, or, in order to alert customers and employees who had been affected. So the bank never really thought about giving money to the hackers. Well, I was going to say, this is like one of the rare cases of, I mean, at least that I've heard of, of a bank being targeted with ransomware. I mean, that doesn't happen often, does it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is probably just going to be, there was going to be, there's going to be more victims coming out of this this whole story. We still don't know the impact of this hack. Well, I'm sure you will find out more and put it up on the old blog, the blogosphere. Yeah, there will be blogs, as usual. There will be blogs. Let there be blogs. And that is where we shall end this 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 month of March 2021, as we just sail towards the oblivion. Well, the March just started. It's the second week now, isn't it? Yeah. What is time, Lozo? What is it? It's still March 2020. Yeah, who knows? All right, I'll catch you later. Thanks, man. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.